Welcome to the Teaching Middle School ELA Podcast. We're your hosts, Caitlin Mitchell and Jessica Kanata. If you're looking for ways to bring rigor and engagement to your middle school ELA classroom without sacrificing your nights and weekends, then this podcast is for you. Our goal is to provide you with your weekly dose of tips, tools, and inspiration so you can actually enjoy teaching again. We'll help you bring the fun and creativity to your ELA lessons so that your students master the standards and you can leave school when the bell rings. Get ready to be that teacher you've always wanted to be to do great work and thrive. All right, you guys, welcome back to another episode. I am so excited about this particular topic, what to do when your lesson fails, because I have had this happen to me and it is such a great learning experience. And we should have, quite frankly, all of us should have had it happen to us at least more than once. Otherwise, we're not pushing the envelope enough in our own capacity of what we're capable of. So I want to share with you a lesson that completely bombed for me with my eighth grade class. And like this wasn't in my first or second year teaching. This was in like my eighth year teaching that this particular instance happened. So like I said, if you've been teaching for 22 years, like let's let ourselves fail sometimes so that we can learn some valuable lessons and get better and improve um, and see failures as opportunities for change as opposed to what we like to see them as, as humans, which is failures, because that's not necessarily the case. It's all about perspective, right? So I taught my students the different sentence types, right? We did compound sentences, complex sentences, compound, complex sentences, simple sentences. I did direct instruction out of my grammar book. We wrote it on the board. We took these great notes. We did our manipulatives with our sentence sorting activity. And then I gave them what I thought was a really easy quiz just to assess them on it. And they epically failed. Like even my stellar students who I know like studied and were ready to go, they did not get it. And so I gave them their test back and they're like, man, Mrs. Mitchell, what was the class average? I was like, dude, I don't know, 75% or something. It was awful. It was awful. And I told them, I said, this is a great opportunity for me as a teacher to reflect on what happened. And so I asked for feedback from them. I said, what, what didn't make sense to you? What didn't land for you? We went through each particular example and where was the confusion? Why did we have a hard time? And I came to realize I just didn't do a good enough job explaining it to them. And like, that was it. And it was like just such a great moment for all of us. And for, I think my students to see what does quote unquote failure look like. It looks like, Hey, what happened and how can we improve and get better? And so I told my students, I'm like, we're throwing this test out because guess what? That's on me. I didn't do my job for you as a teacher. I set you up for failure instead of setting you up for success. So we're going to relearn this concept. We're going to start over. We're throwing this out. Let's pretend like this didn't happen, but we're not going to because we get to learn from this experience. And now we're going to do it all over again. We're going to do it better. And sure enough, the next test, they all got like 95% or something like that. So it was on me. And like, it was such a great moment. Like it was just really powerful. I will forever remember that. And so I want you to think about this, like for yourself, like I'm going to set a scene for you. And I want you to think about what this evokes for you. So you're standing in front of the room. You're 23 minutes into your writing lesson. You've just delivered the mini lesson. You've modeled some practice sentences. You referred to a sample essay and you're like, oh, I got it. Right. I'm good. And now it's time for students to write on their own. So you remind them that you'll be calling them up one by one to conference. You give them options for what to do. If they finish early, you outline what needs to be completed before the bell rings. Like you're like, I'm good. And then you let them begin. And as you confer with your students, 
it starts to happen again. Three students in the back start chatting after two reminders from you. They say they're done and don't know what to do now, right? Or two more continually come up to your desk. You're like, dude, just go sit down, please. I got to finish conferencing with the student, right? When you've already checked in with them several times, you've provided feedback, you've told them repeatedly, you need to meet with other students. Sound familiar, right? <laughs> You're pulled in two different directions during your conferences. And you find yourself saying things like this. So you're meeting with the student at your desk, right? And you're like, okay, in your second paragraph, I'd love to see more explanation about, oh, hold on a second. Sebastian, knock it off back there. Get back to work. Okay, where was I? All right, back to this paragraph. Wait, Layla, this is your second warning. Your rough draft is due at the end of class. So quit fooling around. All right, sorry. Back to this body paragraph. And like your poor student that you're conferencing with, right? It's just like interruption after interruption. And when class is finally over, you're drained and you think, all right, well, what did my students actually accomplish today? You only made it through four conferences and you still have two more days of frustration ahead of you before this writing unit is over. And frankly, you feel like you've let your students down and you just pray like, okay, please don't let this be the period that my principal chooses to come in and observe me because it's a mess. My plans are not working. Like this is not going according to plan. But can you imagine if you searched for gratitude in those moments, instead of searching to label anything that doesn't go according to plan as bad and let it ruining your whole day, but what would happen? For one thing, you'd be like a whole lot happier, a whole lot more inspired and fulfilled. I think this is so interesting. You know, we're going to talk about some simple ways to adopt the attitude of gratitude for a fun little, um, rhyming situation there, but so many of us have very parallel, similar experiences in life. Right. Mm -hmm. And some of us respond beautifully to them and we are unaffected by it. We are still happy. We are positive people and others are the opposite. And if you're, if you are the opposite, like, you know, there's no judgment, right. It's, it's, it's what life do you want? You know what I mean? Like it's your life at the end of the day. So if you want to continue to be unhappy and to be miserable and to look at these situations with frustration and yeah, that's okay. A hundred percent. No one is taking away your feelings from you. Right. But it's this whole idea that we get to be in control of how we respond to situations, right? We can't control the uncontrollable. We can't control the circumstance, right? We can't control I mean, maybe to some extent that Nathan's in the back screwing around, right? We can, and maybe if we have better classrooms management systems in place, whatever, but like there are certain circumstances that we can't control. What we can control is our response to them, our thoughts around them, our feelings towards them, our actions afterwards, and ultimately the results that we create in life. We talk about this on a podcast episode called the CTFAR method. It makes a difference. And so we're going to talk about some simple ways to adopt an attitude of gratitude so that if you are the type of person who's like, you know what, this is my life. I am done letting these circumstances impact my happiness that I leave school. I was going to say Monica's not on this podcast episode. I can't swear. I don't want to put an explicit in here for this particular (laughs) episode. Mad, right? Oh, he's mad instead. Um, If you don't want that, right, there are ways to adopt a different approach to things to ensure that you go home happy, regardless of what happened to you at school, right? You can be upset. You can be frustrated. You can be mad. And you can walk away differently than what maybe you're currently doing. So it's up to you. I mean, what do you want from your life? And if you're like, yeah, I do want to have something different, then we invite you to to consider these four 
simple things that you can do to adopt that attitude of gratitude. If it's not for you, it's not for you. Like no judgment, that's fine. So number one is to celebrate minor accomplishments, right? Those small wins. We tell our EV teachers this all the time. No win is too small, right? Every single Monday with our team, we share a personal and professional win. And for some of our team members on the EV team, that personal win is, hey, we went to a football game this weekend with my kids, the high school football team, right? Like that's small, but it's a, it's a win, right? It's, it's, it, it's the little things in life that we get to celebrate in order to help ourselves appreciate all of the things that we get to have and experience, right? As humans. So we think about what you have instead of dwelling on what you don't, right? In the example that we just shared about the writing lesson, perhaps you can focus on the students who did accomplish the assignment, right? The ones who followed the directions, who worked independently and reflect on the four conferences that you were able to achieve, right? We had um, mindfulness practice on Tuesdays at my most recent school that we taught at. And one of the things that she spoke to us about was as humans, we are hardwired to remember our negative experiences. Like that's just our default for what I, there was a reason behind it. I can't remember what it was. Like we're not defaulted <laughs> to remember the positive things, right? Our brain falls back to remembering the negatives. So we get to consciously be aware of the positives in order to tell our brain like, oh, actually you had all of these great things happen today. But if we don't consciously acknowledge that we are left to the default of just remembering all of the bad things. Okay. So number two is to share the appreciation. Like I share this gratitude at the end of your class, acknowledge those that completed the assignment, right? Thank those that were quiet and respectful during independent writing, right? Acknowledging your students who are doing what you ask, because I think a lot of the times they don't, you know, they just hear about the students who are bad and talking or whatever, causing problems. But I'm like, dude, I've been sitting here like doing what I was supposed to do the whole time. Right. So I think that we get to acknowledge those students. Number three, and I love this one is assume the good, like just default to the good, right? It's just a totally interesting, different perspective. So thinking about Sebastian and thinking about Layla and that earlier example, what could you have done to help them during writing so that they weren't distracting others, right? Assume that they are quote unquote good kids or whatever that definition means to you. Right. And of course they are right. We're all good people. We have good intentions. Maybe there are some students who don't necessarily fall directly within that, but we're all human beings with feelings, with emotions. Our students are right. Perhaps they need more one-on-one help from you. Maybe next time they will be the first students that you conference with. I think of my son. I mean, I know this is not middle school students, but Granted, he's turned five and all of a sudden he's a different, like amazing kid. But when he was four, if he was acting up and being bad, it's because he wanted my attention, regardless if it was for a negative reason or a positive reason, he just wanted my attention. And so perhaps we can think about our students in that way. Like, do they need more from us? Like perhaps those ones who are crying out for help, bad behavior are in fact crying out for help. Like they just need to be seen. They just need to be heard by us. Number four. And the last one is to capture your gratitude. So even if you have to stretch it, right. Just a little bit on some of those days, like jot down, like actually write it down on a piece of paper, one to three things that you are grateful for at the end of the school day. I'm actually almost positive that Monica, our friend, Monica Genta did this. And I think that's where one of her books came from was every single day, like the story that she shared. So maybe it's that a student had a light bulb moment, finally remembered to indent their paragraphs. Dude, that's a win. Write it down. Maybe it's the writing period seemed to fly by today and you didn't find yourself checking the clock every single four minutes, whatever it is, you want to write those down and openly acknowledge them to your brain, to your conscious, to your subconscious, right? Because when you can shift your attitude 
to one of gratitude instead of frustration, right? You can feel frustrated. Yes, absolutely. No one is taking that emotion away from you. And we can also experience this other side right here. Now you're opening the doors for inspiration, for innovation, to help improve the lesson that you deem as failures, to look at them as challenges and opportunities, as opposed to failures and making you feel bad about yourself. Right. It's when you have those tough days, when things don't go according to plan, that you get to step back, that you get to choose a different attitude, right? And then you have the space to see, well, what can be improved to make things run more smoothly so that you feel like, you know, not only did you rock your lesson, but your students accomplished a lot. Maybe in that example, you set your students up for failure. Just something to think about. I'm not saying that's the case all the time, but here's an example where we get to reflect where did I go wrong? Where did I miss the mark? Right. There's a lot of self-awareness and, um, self, uh, letting the ego go that we're not perfectionists that we can't be, none of us are perfect. So if you're a perfectionist, like we gotta let that go. So using that same writing class period from above, I want you to ask yourself what needs tweaking to make that a more effective lesson. Is it the activity itself? Is it my classroom management? just in general, do I need to set something else? Do I get to set something else up for my students? Is it that students just don't understand or they're not equipped for what's expected, right? Those reflection questions that we get to ask to better improve ourselves. And I love Caitlin, like everything you just shared, right? It's like the inner work that you have to do. And now we talk about more of like the tangible implementation. So it's like the both and principle in play here. So here, we're going to share some ideas that you can take if you're having a lesson that just did not go well, and you want to turn it around for the next day. So we're going to go back to that writing example at the start of the episode. So you might consider like, all right, maybe I do need a better classroom management plan. So that's where you would sit and you'd reflect like, what can I put in place to make tomorrow more effective in class? And maybe that's using the 15 minute strategy. I know Caitlin swears by that strategy and so many of our EV teachers have adopted it. And if you're not familiar with it, you can go check out episode 139. It's called the single most effective classroom management system. So whether you use that or not, it's just considering like, okay, how can I make tomorrow more effective by like setting my expectations for my students? And again, back to that writing lesson, another idea might be, okay, I'm going to share like my non-negotiables with my students for how this writing period is going to work from now on. Like I want to set the expectation for what conferences look like and what they're doing independently, you know, for the rest of the class. So you can choose to, you know, have a lot of fun with this. You can choose to just like straight up tell your students it. But again, it's sharing those non-negotiables. So I know this example I give, you might be like, no, I get, it's too silly. It's too cheesy. I'm not going to do it. But really listen to like what's underneath because I think the same principles still apply. So if you're this type of teacher, you might want to like borrow a lab coat or a stethoscope. And at the start of class period, you could say, okay, I'm not Miss Kanata anymore. I'm Dr. Essay or, you know, whatever name you choose. And you tell your students that today when they need help with their essays, it's going to be like they're at the doctor's office and they're going to do one of two things. First, they're going to sign up for like an appointment with you or a conference with you. And you can use classroomq.com. It's a really nice way. It like streamlines the signups for conferences where they get a class code and you just share it with them. And then they can enter their name whenever they need help. And, you know, it puts them in a queue or a line. So this helps, first of all, keep your class time running smoothly. Cause you're not like, okay, who needs help next? And kind of doing that like waiting game. 
it just eliminates the wasted time completely and students only sign up if they need help. If they're in the zone, maybe you don't want to even interrupt them right now. Like let them keep writing and you'll conference with them later on. So that's part of it. Like they have to schedule an appointment. And then you inform them that when it's their turn to meet with you, Dr. S.A., or again, you don't have to say that, they need to be prepared. Just like when you go to a doctor's appointment, you don't just show up and like let the doctor do all the work of diagnosing you. No, you need to share your symptoms. You're very specific. This is how I'm feeling or this is what's been happening to me. And like kind of, you explain it to the doctor first. Same thing with their essay. Students better show up to that conference prepared. They should have one or two areas from their essay that they've been struggling with that they want to talk to you about. If they go beyond one or two areas, like let's face it, it it's overwhelming for them. You can't get all through it in you know, the three, four, five minutes you have with them. So just focusing on one or two things keeps them on task so that when they go back to their seats, it's like, okay, I know exactly what I need to do to improve this essay. So again, you know your students best, you know, be cheesy with them or not, but I still think it's that idea of this, we're treating it like a doctor's office show up prepared. And I think it's gonna make things run a lot more smoothly. And then finally, you wanna think ahead. What could you do or what could you have in place so that your students who do finish early know exactly what to do when they're done writing? Because you don't want those students chatting, messing around with others, distracting others. And this can honestly be as simple as before everyone gets out their tools for writing, you also have them take out their independent reading book and it's just on their desk, literally right in front of them. And it serves as a reminder that when they are done, they immediately grab that and they read the rest of the class period. Yeah. And so the reality is that when your lesson feels like a failure, like it can also be filled with things to be grateful for and an opportunity to make it better, right? It's your choice of whether you choose to see the challenges as opportunities or not, right? It's totally up to you. And I invite you to ask yourself, like, what will you choose today as you're teaching? Are you going to choose to be filled with gratitude, to walk away and go home happy? Or are you going to kind of give away your power to the circumstance that happened at school as opposed to being in control and having your own power because you control your thoughts, you get to control your emotions around that. And again, whatever lands for you, whatever works for you, there's no judgment either way. But if you're like, look, I'm here, I'm teaching, I wanna be happy. Here are some things that you can do to take, to implement, um, to, to continue to love your job, right? It's up to us. Like we get that choice. We get to choose as human beings, as people. So hopefully this episode served you in some capacity in a positive way. And if it did, we would love for you to leave us a review on iTunes where you're listening to this. Send us a direct message on Instagram. Or if you're an EB teacher, pop into the Facebook group. Let us know that, you know what, that landed for me. You know, maybe my story at the beginning or one of the things that Jessica shared about Dr. Essay that you're going to start using this year, um, whatever it is that works, you know, for you and is going to kind of change the way in which we see failures because they're not that failures are challenges for opportunity. And I think that that's just a really powerful perspective shift. All right, you guys, thank you so much for joining us and we will see you next week on the podcast. Hi everyone.